Well, we are in the midst of this series, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. There are some scriptures that many of us ignore in the Bible. There are other scriptures that we'd like to even apologize for in the Bible because they're difficult, difficult to process, difficult to understand. The scripture we're about to read is one of those, but one that we should neither ignore nor apologize for because this is the inspired word of God. We should engage with this scripture today. The original title for this message was The Violent Leadership of Jehu. I, I think it's a little bit more appropriate if we title this sermon The Zealous Leadership of Jehu. The Zealous Leadership of Jehu. Scripture this morning comes from 2 Kings chapter 10, verses 15 to 32. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. 2 Kings 10. 15 to 32, we got a little bit of distance here to read, so let's keep together. The scripture is on the screen behind me. I'm going to read together in one voice. After he left there, he came upon Jonadab, son of Rechab, who was on his way to meet him. Jehu greeted him and said, are you in accord with me as I am with you? I am, Jehonadab answered. If so, said Jehu, give me your hand. So he did, and Jehu helped him up into the chariot. Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. Then he had him ride along in his chariot. When Jehu came to Samaria, he killed all who were left there of Ahab's family. He destroyed them according to the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little bit. Jehu will serve him much. Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests, so that no one is missing because I am going to hold a great sacrifice for Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. Jehu said, call an assembly in honor of Baal. Say, they proclaimed it. Then he sent word throughout Israel, and all the servants of Baal came. No one stayed away. They crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from one end to the other. And Jehu said to the keeper of the wardrobe, bring robes for all the servants of Baal. So he brought out robes for them. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal. Jehu said to the servants of Baal, Look around and see that no one who serves the Lord is here with you, only servants of Baal. So they went in to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had posted 80 men outside with this warning. If one of you lets any of the men I am placing in your hands escape, it will be your life for his life. As soon as Jehu had finished making the burnt offering, he ordered the guards and the officers, go in and kill them, let no one escape. So they cut them down with a sword. The guards and officers threw the bodies out and then entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal. And people have used it for a latrine to this day. 
So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. However, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who she had caused Israel to commit the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. In those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. Let's pray. Father, as we meditate on the story of Jehu, Father, I pray that you teach us of the pros and the cons, the good and the bad of zeal. Father, we want to learn from his life and learn from his character today. It's a difficult scripture. There's a lot of violence. But there's something yet that you want to say to our hearts today about zeal. Father, I pray that you'd speak, God. Open our eyes, open our ears to the spirit of the text. Help us to meditate on it right now and to learn and to have insights that come directly from the heart of God for your people, that we'd apply them to our lives. Jesus, teach us about zeal. We want to be zealous for you. But Lord, we don't want our zeal to take over where we do things that you have not called us to do. So bring us back to obedience. Bring us back to the heart of serving you faithfully. Lord, we ask for your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Zeal is a word that we do not use very often. It can be considered an old-fashioned word. It has been replaced by a more relevant term, passion. We like to be passionate about a lot of things. The word zealot can have a negative connotation in association to fanaticism or extremism or even terrorism. You might be able to recall two of Jesus' disciples sharing the same name, Simon. But one was distinguished as Simon the Zealot in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and in the book of Acts. And at that time, these Jewish zealots were a ragtag group of rebels who attempted to overthrow the Roman Empire by force, by the sword. You might even connect the word zealous to the word jealous. In Hebrew, these two words come from the same root, kinah. God refers to himself as a jealous God, as a zealous God. We, however, have separated these words from each other because zealous seems to have an idealistic connotation and the word jealous has a selfish connotation. Well, zeal is a very powerful trait in the spiritual life of a believer. Zeal is that drive that pushes us to do all that God has called us to do. But if left unchecked in our lives, zeal is also the very same drive that will push us to do more than God has asked us to do, as it is in the life of Jehu. Long before we meet this king, Jehu, in 2 Kings 9 and 10, there was a prophetic word about Jehu that appears in 1 Kings 19, 17 through the prophet Elijah. The scripture says Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. He was to be God's instrument in bringing down the house of Ahab and wicked woman Jezebel. But Elijah, he never got to anointing Jehu. He never got around to doing that. 
It was Elisha who would have to carry out what Elijah had left undone. Elisha then selected one prophet from among a company of prophets, and he sent him to anoint Jehu as king. 2 Kings 9, 69 details his call to leadership. The scripture says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people Israel. You are to destroy the house of Ahab, your master, and I will avenge the blood of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the Lord's servants shed by Jezebel. And the whole house of Ahab will perish. I will cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah. As for Jezebel, dogs will devour her on the plot of ground at Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then he opened the door and ran. See, Jehu's life would be characterized by this one word, zeal. But as you know, too much of a good thing can become a bad thing. So we study that today in the life of Jehu. This morning, I want us to study what went right, and I want us to also study what went wrong in 2 Kings 10, 15 to 32, so that we can learn how to be the zealous leaders that God is calling us to be. First point this morning is zeal against evil people. God called Jehu to have zeal against evil people. Verse 16 to 17, Jehu said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. And then he had him ride along in his chariot. And when Jehu came to Samaria, he killed all who were left there of Ahab's family. He destroyed them according to the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. Here we are immediately faced with an ethical dilemma. Does God condone such violence? We see it in Scripture time and time again. As the Israelites are going into new territory, as the Israelites face invasion from other nations, there's war, there's battles to be fought. Certainly the sixth commandment in Exodus 20, 13 explicitly states, you shall not murder. So is God double-minded? Is this not a direct violation of the law of God? Well, God is directly opposed to evil. And at times in the biblical text, he sanctioned the death of many ungodly leaders who posed a threat to the people of God because of the evil that was in their hearts. And he often communicated this through his prophets. He would send a prophet to bring a prophetic word to the people. And when God makes a promise, he intends to keep his promise. He's not double-minded that he should lie. This may not happen immediately, but this would happen eventually, as in the case here of our story. Hence, there's a gap between 1 Kings 19 and a gap all the way to 2 Kings chapter 10. The governing authorities were to be held responsible for upholding justice. You see, Israel was very unique. They were unique from all the other nations around them because it was a theocracy where the justice of God was implemented through the justice of the king. And in choosing Jehu, God had called the right person for the right task by anointing a general to serve as king. In fact, Jehu, he reminds us of King David, a good general, a good king but also guilty of much bloodshed. Many of you will remember that David was unable to build the house of God that he had in his heart, that desire, because of all the bloodshed that was upon his hands. Over the course of two chapters, here's what happens. Jehu killed hundreds of people, not just a few, hundreds of people. 
As a trained archer, Jehu killed King Joram of Israel and King Ahaziah of Judah in 2 Kings 9, 14 to 29. In partnership with three eunuchs, Jehu killed Jezebel. They pushed her out the window in 2 Kings 9, 30 to 37. In partnership with the leading men of Jezreel, Jehu killed the 70 sons of Ahab in 2 Kings 10, 1 to 11. Jehu also killed 42 relatives of King Ahaziah in 2 Kings 10, 12 to 17. Jehu finally commissioned the killing of all the prophets, all the servants, all the priests of Baal in Israel in 2 Kings 10. 18 to 27. This guy is dangerous. <laughs> Zeal, like humility, is not something that needs to be announced. It is something that is simply demonstrated. See, there is something about Jehu's statement to Jehonadab that sounds very prideful. I don't know if you caught that when you read the text. There's something prideful. Come and see my zeal for the Lord. At some point, Jehu's righteous zeal became an unrighteous seal when his killings exceeded God's limits. Approximately 100 years later, we encounter a contradictory verse. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 4, the word of the Lord comes to Hosea, and the, the word is this, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And in that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. What's happening here? Hosea, a prophet of the Lord, in obedience to God, has married a promiscuous woman named Gomer. In fact, this is a really beautiful story. It's awkward, but it's beautiful. Marriage was to illustrate God's faithfulness and his love to his people, even when his people did not love him in return and remained unfaithful to him. And the name of their first child together was to be named Jezreel. It was given prophetically to represent God's judgment upon the house of Jehu for what is reinterpreted as a massacre in 2 Kings 10. In hindsight, we realize that God did not ordain these killings and neither did God forget about it because our God is a God of justice. At some point, Jehu, in all of his zeal, he shifted from obedience to persecution. Do you remember the apostle Paul, how he described his former life as Saul of Tarsus? What did he say about himself in Philippians 3, 6? He said, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. He persecuted the church. He was killing people. He was on assignment to kill. Like Saul, Jehu's zeal made him bloodthirsty. Now I understand today, how are we going to apply this to our life? Are we supposed to go out there and kill people? No, absolutely not. There's many differences between our culture and the ancient Israelite culture. There's much time, uh, but in our day and time, we can't do that. There would be an investigation. There would be a trial. You'd be put in jail. That's the end of the story. Life sentence. Our legal system holds people accountable for their actions. And I'm not suggesting today that you need to exercise your zeal the way Jehu did. But perhaps the equivalent is that we are violent to the ones we should protect. We do violence to the ones we should protect. We do that in the church. We do that in our families. We do that with our friends. We should be protecting these people. And yet we do violence to them. We figuratively destroy people with our words 
with our actions. We are militant instead of gentle in our treatment of others. We become religiously pious like the Pharisees. We start pushing rules and pushing laws upon people and making them feel less than. Our witness suffers because believers seem to be no better than unbelievers. But friends, today we must do what God has called us to do, but not at the stake of destroying people's lives. I think it's ironic that Jesus, he changes the story. He changes the narrative when he arrives on the scene. He tells us to love our enemies. Second point this morning as we investigate the life of Jehu, zeal against evil places. Jehu has zeal against evil places. Verses 18 to 28. Then Jehu brought all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. All of us are like, what? Now summon all the prophets of Baal, all his servants and all his priests, and see that no one is missing because I'm going to hold a great sacrifice for Baal. Anyone who fails to come will no longer live. But Jehu was acting deceptively in order to destroy the servants of Baal. Jehu said, call an assembly in honor of Baal. So they proclaimed it. And then he sent word throughout Israel. And all the servants of Baal came and not one stayed away. They crowded into the temple of Baal until it was full from one end to the other. And Jehu said to the keeper of the wardrobe, bring robes for all the servants of Baal. So he brought out robes for them. And then Jehu and Jehonadab, son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal. Jehu said to the servants of Baal, look around and see that no one who serves the Lord is here with you, only servants of Baal. So they went in to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. And Now Jehu had posted 80 men outside with this warning. If one of you lets any of the men I'm placing in your hands escape, it will be your life for his life. As soon as Jehu had, ordered, had finished making the burnt offerings, he ordered the guards and officers, go in and kill them. Let no one escape. So they cut them down with the sword, and the guards and the officers threw the bodies out, and they entered the inner shrine of the temple of Baal. They brought the sacred stone out of the temple of Baal and burned it. They demolished the sacred stone of Baal, tore down the temple of Baal, and people have used it for a latrine to this day. Pretty gross. So Jehu destroyed Baal worship in Israel. See, the neighboring people continued to influence Israel in many ways. They would bring their gods and goddesses and force them and encourage them to worship them. The Ashereth was the goddess of the Sidonians. Chemosh was the god of the Moabites. Molech was the god of the Ammonites. And Baal was the god of the Canaanites. During his reign, King Ahab had built a temple, a big temple, a rivaling temple for Baal in Samaria. If Jehu was going to rid Israel of the house of Ahab, he would have to rid Israel of the temple of Baal. Jehu's zealous determination to eradicate Baal worship in 2 Kings 10 is reminiscent of something we saw earlier in 1 Kings 18 when Elijah is on Mount Carmel and there's this showdown of prophets. And what happens? God sends fire from in heaven and consumes the sacrifice. 
with the deceptive appearance of getting worse before getting better. Jehu, he uses a little bit of reverse psychology on these foolish people. He called a national assembly that separated all the false worshipers of Baal from the true worshipers of God. And he robed all the prophets and priests so they were left unarmed before he sent in the 80 men to kill every representative of Baal worship in Israel. And then in just one fell swoop, he demolished the sacred stone he demolished the temple, leaving it as a public toilet. You can just imagine poop emoji. It's gross. But I wonder today if there's anyone here who has the same zeal as Jehu to destroy the idols that we have collectively borrowed from the culture surrounding us. There are many idols. There are many idols that you and I are facing each and every day. The deacons and I, we've been reading a book together called Faith in Exile by David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock, which explores what it means for a new generation to follow God in a digital Babylon. I believe one of the big, biggest idols that we're facing today is the power of technology, the idol of technology. Without diminishing the benefits of technology, because there are benefits, screens have become our idol. Pushing the tyranny of now, framing and filtering reality, weaponizing humor by making snark cool, overloading our choices, filling our time, and distracting our minds, making people even more image conscious, and giving people the sense of interacting and participating. Friends, if we do not develop a zeal against the idol we call the internet, we will squander our short time here on earth. And let me tell you, time is precious. You have one chance to live. Life is like a vapor. We're here today, gone tomorrow. We have a God-given assignment. We cannot waste it on the God we call internet. We're living like we're exiles in our own land. We're being influenced by the culture around us, the culture of the world, instead of being influenced by the kingdom of God. We need to redeem our time. We are called to be in but not of the world. So I'm not telling you to get rid of your iPad. I'm not telling you to get rid of your cell phone or your smartphone. But what I am telling you to do today is to demolish the mindless grip that keeps you fixated on your device and keeps you distant from God. Because there is an addiction and there is a grip and there is an idolatry. When the first thing we do in the morning is open this and start scrolling, we have a problem. We have a problem. I've talked to you about that chronic neck syndrome people have from looking down at their cell phone all day. Friends, this is good. There's benefits to having a cell phone. But at the same time, if this becomes our idol, if this is become, becomes what we look to for understanding our identity and who we are, and if it occupies all our time, I guarantee you there's a correlation between this and your relationship with God. I guarantee you there's a strong correlation. And so let's not be distant from God. Let's stay connected to God. Let's be his people. Let's not be a product of the culture around us. Third point today, deal with misdirected zeal. Verse 29 to 32, scripture says, however, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. 
the worship of the golden calves at Bethel and Dan. And the Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in accomplishing what is right in my eyes and have done to the house of Ahab all I had to do, all I had in mind to do, your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. Yet Jehu was not careful to keep the law of the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. And in those days, the Lord began to reduce the size of Israel. This is what I realized this week as I was studying the scripture. Your zeal for God will only take you so far spiritually. Many people in this room today have zeal. It's good. I'm glad you have zeal for God. But zeal will only take you so far in your spiritual life. Jehu was interested in the specifics of his calling, but he was not interested in the disciplines of his faith. See, the great temptation in the Christian life is to have zeal, but to lack substance. First, verse 29 tells us that Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam and continued to allow the Israelites to worship the golden calves. He had brought down the temple of Baal, but he didn't deal with the other sources of idolatry in the land. Second, verse 30 tells us that Jehu's sons would sit on the throne of Israel, but only until the fourth generation. There is a limitation that God put on Jehu. Third, verse 31 tells us that Jehu did not keep the law of the Lord. And as I studied this scripture, I cannot help but realize that of all the failures of Jehu, it is the last one mentioned that was the most important because it caused all the other failures in his life. See, how can we have zeal for the things of God but rarely read the word of God? Are you hearing me this morning? How can we have zeal for God, for it to be authentic zeal, and yet never read the word of God. Never pray. Never meditate on it. See, daily Bible engagement is a core Christian discipline. And that is why we as a pastoral team at WPA, we stress reflecting and scribing and memorizing and listening and praying and drawing and corporately reading the Bible. It's a sacrifice. It takes time. I understand that. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Without a love for the word, we cannot love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. In Psalm 119.11, King David teaches, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, this is a negative linear correlation. As scripture increases, sin decreases. Jehu's propensity to repeat the sins of Jeroboam would have been significantly reduced if he was a student of God's word, if he kept God's law at the center of his life. See, the Apostle Paul, he says something similar about other zealous people that he was aware of. Romans 10, 2, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. What's he saying? I know they have zeal. They have that emotion zeal. But they don't have depth. They lack a desire for the word of God because that's where that knowledge comes from. Zeal fades if it's not fueled by the word of God. So the question is, are you meditating on the word of God day and night? Are you meditating on it? Is scripture in your mind? Is scripture on your heart? Is scripture on your lips? It's okay if I don't get a good amen. It's the challenge. 
Psalm 119, 105 reminds us, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Do you want to live God's way? Return to the word. Jehu's obedience led to a limited legacy on the throne of Israel, but in verse 32 we read that Jehu's disobedience led to a reduction of the size of Israel. This is a big deal. I don't think we fully understand what this scripture means. Verse 32, King Hazel of Ram would come and take away the Transjordan region away from Israel. These are the parts of Israel that rested on the east side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River was, was runoff water that was from Mount Hermon. And it ran about 125 kilometers south all the way until it emptied into the Dead Sea. So this is a long river. And anything east of that river was to now belong to the foreign nations. In particular, this refers to the lot of land belonging to the tribes of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben. If you look at a map of Israel, you'll notice that Israel never recovered these lands. They were forever gone. They currently belong to Syria and to Jordan, and they're the location of much conflict. You often hear when you're learning about Israel or studying about Israel, you learn of the Golan Heights region. There's a lot of conflict in that area. There's demilitarized zones in that area. In all fairness, God rewarded Israel for what Jehu did right, but also at the same time, I want you to catch this because it's really a mixed review. God also punished Israel for what Jehu did wrong. And Israel still feels it today, just in the way their land is distributed. In other words, his zeal led to a mixed review of leadership. Where is your zeal this morning? Do you have just a, hey, I love God, this is awesome. Love church, it's amazing. I'll be here on Sunday. We'll do one hour together, an hour and a half together. and I'll just go home and do my own thing. Where is this a zeal? For the Lord, your God, that is grounded in the word of God, that is grounded in the spirit of God, something that cannot easily be moved or changed. See, Jehu is a biblical case study of zeal, and the application this morning is to take all those positive aspects of his leadership and then to also discard all those negative aspects of his leadership when it comes to zeal in our own lives. This morning, as the worship team comes, I want to end my message by commissioning you with a final scripture taken from Romans 12, 11. I want you to hear this scripture this morning. It's for you. The scripture says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I pray that over you today, church, that you will never be lacking in zeal, but you will keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. You see, in zeal, let us hate what God hates and let us love what God loves. In zeal, let us do what God is calling us to do, nothing more and nothing less. So I want to live the zealous life, but what I want to live is a life full of substance. So this morning in your lives, would you evaluate where you are with God? It's really just a reflective application that as you go from this place, you would have a moment with God and you'd say, God, where's the zeal? Do I just put on an exterior of being zealous for you and lack the discipline behind it like Jehu? Or am I a person who loves the law of the Lord? Am I a person who loves his word? 
And that, my friends, will keep you from repeating the sins of previous generations. That will keep us away from the generational curses. That will keep us away from making the same mistakes. We can learn from the lessons we have in the word of God. And we can live a life of zeal for the Lord. I'm calling you today to never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Let's pray. Will you stand with me?